If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up. James chapter 5. Uh, you're like, oh my gosh, we've made it through five chapters of James. Congratulations, we've done that together. Uh, and so, alright, so here we go. James chapter 5. Last week, uh, we opened a box that, that we're going to continue unpacking. Um, but if you thought that maybe skipping out last week was the better decision of the two, I don't know. Uh, honestly, I, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, because uh, what we're going to be dealing with is some comfort levels that, that we struggle with in our lives. And uh, James ends chapter 4, uh, begins chapter 5 by bringing to center stage a theme about dependence, about where we seek dependence uh, in our lives. And, and if we've been paying attention, James has been uh, consistently challenging us. He's challenged our, our motivations. He's challenged our hearts. He's challenged the fruits that come out of our lives. And, uh, and, and some of his words can land in a hard place in our hearts, uh, but, but they're incredibly, incredibly loving because James is speaking to the church while raising the intensity uh, so that we can make much of God. And so we can live for the glory of, of His name. And, uh, and He's been telling us for weeks now to, to examine uh, really how we live. Uh, he, he says to ask God to remove the blinders of our lives. That, that there are uh, many ways we can do this. And it doesn't have to be complicated unless you just want to make it so complicated that you don't have to try to do it anymore, right? Uh, if you can make it complicated to where you could avoid steps like confession and repentance and those kind of things. Uh, but James says, let's, let's not do that. Let's not play a game. And so, so we know, and I think this is what James kind of brings to the surface, and, and we know this, uh, that, that, that we know in the honesty of our hearts uh, when we're acting out of purity and when we're acting out of deception. Uh, that, that we know that. When we're trying, uh, we know those moments when we're trying to butter God up the way that your kids will try to butter you up, right? Like in my house, it almost always works like this. Hey, Dad, I love you. And then you say, what do you want? Right? And, and James says, hey, there, there's, there's no need to play that kind of game when it comes to God. You don't have to walk up and you don't have to try to warm his affections up for you because he cares for you deeply. He cares for you in great and mighty ways that, 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 would, that boggles our minds. Uh, and so James says that when you live, let's just live um, free of deception. Let, let's call things what they are. And, and so the danger that we've been challenged to explore isn't deceiving other people, although um, that, that's sinful in itself and we shouldn't do that. Uh, but, but the danger is uh, that James wants us to understand when we are walking in certain directions and when deception uh, is at play. And so where we, arrived, uh, where we have arrived today is a continuation of this desire. As James says, let, let's pay attention to the things you are depending on the most. And, and he says, let's, let's ask a simple question. Um, where does that dependence lead? Uh, does my dependence lead back to me, or does it lead on to God? Uh, and so, so he opens this box in the end of chapter 4 and in through chapter 5, uh, and, he, and he says, okay, we're, we're going to explore these areas of your lives, and, and he's going he's to say, hey, I want you to, as we talk about dependence, I want you to explore your plans, I want you to explore your finance, your treasures, and I want you to explore your suffering. And so, so last week we... 
And all this kind of leads us towards our dependence from God. And so last week, uh, he drew our attentions to the way we make plans. And if you'll remember, uh, he was like Captain Self-Esteem, right? Because uh, he reminds you, he comes in and he says, listen, um, you don't know what tomorrow holds. Uh, and again, we said that's very generous of him because we also don't know what today holds, right? And then he says, and even if you did, understand this about your life, you are a vapor. You are here for a moment and then poof, gone. Right? That, that's what he says about your life. And, and it's not to make you feel bad about yourself. Uh, but, but the argument is, is not that we would avoid making plans, but rather we would lean into God who lovingly gives our plans purpose for greater reasons than just our, our little old stories. Uh, and and so, so if we can't see all of it, then he says when you make plans, let's make sure that God is included in those steps. Let's make sure we go to him and we say, if the Lord wills. God, I believe you are telling me and my family to go on this adventure. Um, if that is the case, then let me step according to your good will. And, and so, so we said it this way, that our plans say something about where our dependence lies. So the plans that you make for your, in your life for your family says something about where your dependence lies. And I think the principle this morning... Uh, kind of can be adjusted, but it, it kind of sets the same. Uh, in fact, we can write this in our talk notes. Alan, you got it ready to go? Um, no, almost. I got you the wrong thing. All right, here's what we're going to say on top of your talk notes. Uh, the principle that James is teaching this morning is that the treasures we lay up say something about where our dependence lies. Oh, I did have it. So the fault's on you, not me? Yeah? All right. That's one. All right? Like in baseball, six strikes, you're out. All right? So here we go. Your treasures we lay up... See, somebody doesn't know that, and they don't know baseball. And that's... I'm offended. Um, so he's going to say this, that, that, that your treasures we lay up, they say something about where your dependence lies. All right? So, so we're going to unpack this through uh, six verses today. And so let's, let's pray. Father, we come to you, and we love you, and we thank you that you care so deeply about us. We pray as, as you walk us into an area that we tend to not want to discuss in church, um, that we would be very mindful of your Holy Spirit and how caring he is to bring not the symptoms to the surface, but to the, help us dive deep into the root of the issue. We thank you for your word this morning. We pray we would be able to worship you through it today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. Let's just read it. Chapter uh, chapter 5, verse 1 says this. There we go. It says, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Again, Captain Self-Esteem, right? He wants to build you up in Jesus, right? Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in these last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Verse number 5. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person 
uh, he does not resist you. Okay, so this is, this is kind of where we're at this morning. You're like, hmm, that sounds warm and fuzzy, right? Uh, it's, it's a good holiday season lesson we've got going on. Um, again, uh, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not good. All right? And so, so, so here's the first hurdle we need to jump in this, this text um, is the illusion between rich and poor. Okay? So, so some of you read those first four words and said, oh, he's talking about rich people. All right, good. Not me. I'm going to get back to my grocery list or I'm going to update my fantasy football team before kickoff, right? Uh, I could take the easy street today because he's not talking uh, to me. And, and here's what I, I want you to understand. Um, that, that A, it really doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account. Uh, if you are in Christ, you are wealthy. Okay? So, so you could have a buck, you can have ten bucks, hundred bucks, thousand bucks, million bucks. All of that applies to your wealth. Okay? So, so you don't get out of that. Now, secondly, let's also just understand that when we think of wealth compared to the rest of the world, we have it good. Right? I mean, electricity, plumbing, Raymond Noodle... Dr. Thunder, right? All amenities, right? You take that to third world countries and they love that stuff. Uh, and so, so, so as we chew on these words, we can avoid really any justification that we aren't included in them because James is talking to you. Uh, and so, uh, so, so granted, you may not have done some of the specific scenarios that James is describing, uh, but we need to just keep in mind that, that the actions described here are symptoms uh, that many of us struggle with Today, we struggle with these things. So, so since the treasures we lay up say something about our dependence, what we need to do is we need to walk through the grip that we have on our treasures. Okay? We, need, we need to understand the grip that we have on our treasures, and then we need to ask what that grip is saying about our lives with God. Okay? And so, so my contention, okay, and this is, you, you don't hear me here, you're going to have a hard time hearing me later. Right? My contention is that our grip isn't as much about more money, more houses, more toys. Right? Um, because we all know more money, more problems. Right? That's the, isn't that the hip-hop line. Um, so, so my contention is that our grip isn't as much about more money, more houses, more toys, but rather our grip is about where we feel most secure. Okay? That, that where we have a security issue, it's going to reveal that we have a faith issue. Uh, and so, so this is what James is bringing to light. And so in these six verses, he kind of brings us three revelations about factors to consider when, we, when our grip on our treasures are unhealthy. All right? So this is what he's writing to. Remember, we've said this all along. James isn't writing to sinners who are sinners. He's writing to church folk. Okay? So, so he's talking to them who are rich, right? which we've all said. That includes us, right? Even, even if you're a teenager and you have like almost 45 cents and you're saving up to go to Chicken Express on Friday to buy one sweet tea, all right? This is including you, all right? So he says, he says the grip that you have on this is going to say something about your life. And he says when your grip is unhealthy, these things are at play. And this is what he's described in these six verses. And so, so when your grip is too tight, he says this, number one, you forget your treasures are temporary. You forget that your treasures are temporary. And his warning is to pay attention to what happens toward the end of your life when you allow your treasures to become your security. And he says it this way, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. 
Your riches have rotted away. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver, they've corroded, and their corrosion will be like evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up your treasure in these last days. And so he says that those treasures, they're not designed to sustain you. They may, you may be able to convince them to prop you up for a moment, but they cannot, will not, sustain you. In fact, uh, they, they rot and they're eaten and they corrode and it's like acid on your body. You burn up. Right? They, it just burns you up and it serves as a witness against you in the last days. And so when our grip is too tight in these last days, we reveal that our security was in our treasure, not in our treasure maker. Okay? That's a, that's a lame pastoral phrase right there. Okay? It's all temporary. He says, he says the very thing, the very thing James says the rich rely on is the very thing that's currently wasting away. And I was thinking about this week. I remember um, I, was, I was in a hotel lobby. Brag much? Yes, I do. Um, back in, in 2007, I was in, we, were, we were at a conference near Atlanta, Georgia. And I remember walking into the lobby and on the big screen, t- uh, CNN was being played. And um, it was the day when the housing market just completely collapsed. Uh, and they were talking about it, and we got to the conference, and that was the buzz. And in fact, at this conference, we're talking to, uh, they were talking to young church leaders, and they were saying, hey, you need to be aware of what's going on right now, because this is a significant step. And it was the first time uh, in my life when I came to the awareness of the fragility of our economy, <laughs> that these things burst, and they start to crumble, and they start to fall apart, and, and the effects were widespread. It, it, uh, the, it led, lending was affected, construction was affected, stock market was definitely affected, and uh, people for the first time in a while saw their 401ks get ravaged by the market. I mean, some of you lived that, right? Uh, some of you were almost born. Uh, some of them were almost born, right? And, and we, were, we were in Georgia, and, and I remember this very specifically because this was the same time that God was birthing merge into our hearts. Uh, and I remember one of my conversations with God saying, Hey, um, have you seen the economic forecast? And he said, I don't care about the economic forecast. And, but I, I remember vividly this interesting season for our nation and our community because we were on the front row of a reminder how temporary our treasures can actually be. Uh, and, and I said it this way last week about our plans, that, that there's, there's no one here today whose phone can't ring and your life be changed dramatically in, a, in an instant, right? And the same thing pl- plays itself out true in, in our treasures, too. There, there's not one of us that can't go home today to a house that's on flames, Right? And then the rest of your life, and that season of your life gets changed dramatically to where you remember it for the rest of, of your life. It's all very temporary. And, and I think uh, in, in my personal Bible reading, the plan that I'm on right now, coincidentally, uh, I don't think coincidentally, I think providentially, uh, that I'm in the book of Job, right? And this is a guy who, uh, through the eyes of man, has it all. And then in an instant, it all goes away. And now what's great about Job is not because of his sinfulness, it's actually because of his righteousness. Okay? Job is so righteous that God allows Satan to mess with him. Right? And it all gets taken away. And it's this stark reminder that all of it can go in a moment. 
And at the end of it all going, where does my dependence rest? And Job has some people speaking some truth into his life. And I think they're good intention, idiotic friends, just like I am to most of you. And they, yes, Lane's like, yeah, yeah. So it's this reminder. His story is a testament on where our grip should be. Uh, and when it comes to the security we're searching in our lives. And, and, and so, and I think, secondly, in, in verses 1 through 3, I, I think there's this sub-thought about that James is trying to help us understand that, um, that some of you, the, these things that you're relying on that are wasting away, that are corroding, that are stumbling and falling apart, uh, that, that they're not designed to be your backup plan in case God doesn't come through. Right? That shows almost zero dependence that, that you'll you'll lean on them and you'll find them crumbling and that's where that's where i'm exposed because a faith that requires a safety net is no faith at all all right you with a faith that requires a safety net like god i believe you're good but in case you're not i'm going to store this away okay and remember we're not, we're not talking about there's we're not talking that it's sinful to plan we're not talking that it's sinful to save because we can go to the bible we can see that that's a virtue. We can talk about the necessity of those things. But where does our security lie in those moments? And so, so a faith that requires a safety net is no faith at all. That's, that's a life built on hedging your bets. Uh, if God doesn't come through, I can always lean on my Dave Ramsey um, emergency fund, right? That's the way it tries to play itself out. And the danger we run into is if, if, if we do this, uh, it's that we're. I think the issue when we do this, it's, it's because we're more tangible than we are faith-driven. Uh, that, that we can see bank accounts. Uh, we can see our house. We can see our clothes, though they're older today than they were yesterday. Uh, we can see them and we can seek security in them because they're tangible. Right? Uh, then uh, this, is, this is where faith has to grow up in us, church. This is where the faith has to grow up because we can't always see the goodness of God through current circumstances. We can't. But, but just because you can't see in that moment doesn't mean God is not just as much in control as He has been this entire time. And so, so James says, you forget your treasures. They are very temporary. Then number two, he leads us. He says, you fell, when your grip's too tight, you fell to see how your grip affects others. And he paints this really bad scene. Uh, and so it says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they're crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Okay, so who's James writing to? The church. Okay? And so, so he says that there are Christians, okay, who are not honoring their debts. That, that they have agreed upon a wage, they've agreed upon a price, they've made a commitment to make payments, and they've chosen in this moment not to honor that commitment. And he says, you're taking advantage of others. And he says, because you're taking advantage of others, uh, that, that decision is coming back on you because it doesn't just affect you, it affects others. Uh, and those people have now become, you are now the reason they are crying out to God for justice. Okay? okay? Think about that moment. When I cheat somebody, they can in turn cry out to, 
to God about me for justice. And it's a shame. It's a shame when Christians become guilty of taking advantage of any people in any way. Any people anyway. In Christ, we have been given more freedom, more riches, more purpose than anyone apart from Him ever could. Ever could. And so understanding that should create some sense of responsibility in our, in our hearts. And, and so, so, so let's remember, before we think that James is writing to sinners to sinners, he's not. He's writing to us. And the question worth asking in this scenario that he's painted in verse 4 is, is why would these people do such a thing? Right? They hired people to work. They agreed upon a wage. The work's been completed. So why, what would be the reason they wouldn't honor that commitment? Okay, and now before we get all hot and toddy about it, right, and all on our high horse about it, let's think this through. Okay, which would you rather? This is a group poll. Okay, it doesn't take, it's not a hard one, so Lane, you can be involved. All right, which would you rather have today in your bank account? One dollar or ten dollars? Ten? You're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. All right, good. You've gotten that far. All right, ten dollars or a hundred dollars? Hundred, yeah, okay. All right. I, I feel like you and I are connected here. All right. Hundred dollars, thousand dollars. Thousand. Thousand dollars, million dollars. Yeah, definitely million, yeah. Right. Okay, so, so in our confession, here's what we've just said. I always want the more. I always want the more. Okay? So I could we could just keep going, right? A million or a billion, right? A billion or a trillion. We could just keep going. And you're always like, oh, Missy tried to convince me the other day that she doesn't want to win the lottery. And I was like, well, that's dumb, right? <laughs> and so, so this, is, this is, and I honestly think she honestly doesn't want to win it. Uh, and I'm like, that's why we've never won. A, we've never bought a ticket. And that kind of attitude will get you nowhere in life. Um, but but here, here's what we know. Here's what we know. That we always want the more. And now why is that? Because that the more leads us to feel more secure, right? And so, so here's what's happening in this scene. Guy walks up, knocks on the door. Hey, Mr. Stoltz, I'd like to mow your yard for 20 bucks, right? And Lane's like, oh, that's a good deal. Let's mow the yard. And the guy mows the yard. And he does it great. And then the kid comes back on the door. Hey, Mr. Stoltz, I mowed your yard. He's like, I'm broke. As he's wearing his cash um, jacket, smoking jacket that you wear in the house. Yeah. Yeah, it's all $100 bills. So, so what's the issue? The work was done. We agreed upon it. But yet I don't want to pay because if I give out of what I have d- decided is most secure to me, I will be less secure. By definition, I will be less secure. And so we hoard it. And we hold it. And this decision leads to fraud. And that fraud leads to sin. And he says, you have to be careful because when your grip is too tight, you will want to cheat other people. And again, it's not about cheating people. It's about where your security lies, where your dependence is. Is it on honoring God or is it on keeping myself secure? And so here's what happens. Is, is we start to have these arguments with God. And I don't know if you've ever done this. And if you have, I kind of hope so, and I kind of hope not hope so, because I do this. Um, God, I would, I would do that, but I don't have the margin in my budget to do it. Forgetting the fact that 
God knows those things, right? right? If, if Genesis says he sees you naked, right? He knows what your bank account looks like. He knows that you got Netflix and Hulu, Amazon Prime, you know, name them, right? Sling. He knows. And, and here's what's even more amazing about that. He knew that before he called you to adventure with him. That you're now saying, hey, I'm too broke to do it. Can't. He's like, I, I know those things. I know you can. So he, said, he says, you forget your, te- your treasures are temporary. You fail to see how your grip affects others. And then number three, he says, you ignore how God blesses you for the purpose of his glory. He says, you ignore how God blesses you for the purpose of his glory. Verses five and six, he says, you've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. He says, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And, and we've been talking about this for a few weeks now, how, how there are really two lanes that, that James tends to bring us down, uh, and they have two different destinations. He says there's the lane of the self, and then there's a lane that leads to God, uh, and the methods that we take will, will determine which step we, we are ultimately on. And the danger of James is, his, he says, it can look like in very religious movements that you are walking on this path with God, but you're really just deceiving Yourself. And, and so, so, so when it comes to our grip, we are either concerned with the preservation of the self or the proclamation of the gospel. Those are our two options. Okay? Because if we really do believe that God is good and that God does care for us as a loving Father, we will always be preserved. We will always be provided for. Okay? And so, so in verse 5, James brings a hard word by saying, You have gorged yourself in fields, not realizing that each bite is taking you to the slaughterhouse. And it's that first part of verse 5 that's important to notice. It says, You live in luxury and in self indulgence. And that's an operative word self indulgence. You, you, you've misunderstood why God has blessed you so greatly. You've misunderstood the purpose of your blessing. It's not for self-indulgence. It's always for this pouring out. And now here's the thing. Wealth for the believer is not sinful. Okay? So if you're sitting here like, oh man, you're making me feel bad that I have some money in my bank account. That's not what I'm saying. That's not sinful. Because we can go go to great men of God uh, listed throughout the Bible who actually were wealthy too. But but the important part that we're dealing with is being selfish with your wealth is where the sin lies in wait. I'm sorry, where, where sin lies in wait. Being selfish with it. Riches are always temporary, which is why stewardship is always the healthiest choice. Saying, God has blessed me for this moment. I want to quickly take you to Luke chapter 12. All right, if you have it in your Bibles, just quickly go there. If not, we, we'll put it on the screen. I think we have it for the screen. Um, if we don't, it's my fault. All right, all right, so here we go. Here's this scene in Luke 12 that gets, gets explained. Someone in the crowd said to him, okay, now when we see that word, him, we have to ask, well, who's him? Well, him is Jesus, right? Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And I love this scene because um, if you have a brother, I think you can appreciate this, right? Like, hey, they're not sharing their toys with me. And so you just yell out to whoever you can. Like, hey, you look like an adult. Make them do what I'm telling them to. Right? And so this guy from the crowd just says, Hey, tell him to share his inheritance. 
And Jesus said to him, Man, that's the way I believe he said it. Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist... Uh Uh-oh. I'm sorry, fair warning. If we we need to back away, do it now before I finish the sentence. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Okay? It's, this is what we call the danger zone. Alright, we're approaching on it. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And we, we always say this, that when our life differs from the word, the fault's never the word, it's always us. And so, so, so this, is, this has to say something to us when our footsteps, when the footsteps of our lives tries to remove the words does not from 12.15. That's what we want, right? That's the model. That's, that's the journey, right? We want to remove two words and we want to read it like for one's life, well, let's just remove one word. For one's life does consist in the abundance of his possessions. Right? That sounds much easier. That sounds like all of a sudden I have found a way to win in life. Or to wait, oh, at least a way to know that I'm winning in life. If my life consists of my, uh, the abundance of my possessions, then a lot of us are winning really good. But it doesn't, doesn't say that, does it? Because it, it does not consist in the abundance of our stuff. And so I think when Jesus says that, I think the crowd looks at him the way you guys are looking at me. And so in his love, he gives us a parable. And he says this, verse 14. I'm sorry, uh, in verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And so, so this guy looks around and he's in his, he's at his house and he's like, I, I got too much stuff. I got too much stuff. So I'm going to start calling around to the, um, the uh, garage rental places. What do you call those? Storage facilities, you know? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start putting them in those things. I'm going to spend $140 a month, right? To, to put all my junk in more junk space. Right? And then one day it's going to show up on TV because I didn't pay my bill because I'm one of those guys. Right? Then there's a bid going on. I don't know. Is that, is that even a show anymore? Storage Wars still going on? All right, good. Good. Thank God. Uh, we, we need more of that in our lives. So he looks around and he says, the biggest problem I'm facing right now is I don't, I don't know what to do with all my stuff. And there's this really honest moment that if you're pulling for him, uh, he says, I don't know what to do with this stuff. I'll do this. And there's a part that you want to say, I want to give this to the poor. I'm going to give this to those who need. And he says, what? I will build a bigger barn. I'll build, and this is where I get exposed because I find myself in verses like these thinking about how many prayers I have prayed for provision and how few prayers I have prayed when God has been so generous to give me more than my daily bread. 
Like rarely, rarely in my life. This is the problem, okay? I'm just letting you know, there's a problem in your pastor's heart. Rarely in my life, out of my abundance, do I say, God, what do you want to do with this? Typically, I'm like, oh, what can I do with this? Right? And we laugh because it's true for you too. So he decides the solution is to build a bigger barn, but that's, that's not really his purpose for building bigger barns because he's about to expose us even further. Verse 19, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Those are some damning words. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. It's the danger of our society. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. So many of us are striving for this, not realizing that the purpose of our lives does not climax in our retirement or if we actually do win the lottery. Okay? That's, some of us have lived in a fantasy world of, boy, things get a lot better in my life once that happens and it ain't happening. I'm telling you. For the believer, life is, is much deeper than that. That every day, every day serves as this opportunity to put God on display. To put His goodness on display. To put His love on display. To serve those around us so that those who are far from God might find life in Christ. That that's the process. So, so relax, eat, drink, be married for many years is not as much the sign of success as it serves. It's really more a life wasted in the light of the gospel. Just wasted. And I think this is, this is really... Okay, so I, I feel called to a very specific group of people. Uh, not, not just Azel people, but suburbanite people. Uh, in fact, part of my frustrations when, when God was birthing Merge came out of looking around in a suburbanite church and saying, boy... We, we don't got it. We don't understand what should be most important around here. Because what we think is most important is, can I get a third car? And it doesn't matter. It doesn't. And, and so, so one of the dangers of a suburbanite Christian is, is that we can be well-clothed and we can be well-fed and we can believe the purpose of our lives is that we should obtain a status that relaxing and eating and drinking and being married is the pinnacle of our success. And it's a lie. And I only know it's a lie because I read the Bible. And the Bible paints... I was asking Missy this. I don't know of a story where, where it ends in the Bible. I don't know of a person listed in the Bible that the ends of their days was, and they relaxed by the sea. They kicked it in their vacation home for the rest of their days. Never. Right? Oh, yeah. Expose somebody, right? Oh, man, that lake house. I don't care about your lake house. I really don't. I don't. I, I care about the grip you have on it. I care about the security you believe that it's given you. I question your motives of if that, if that leads you to a gospel-centered life or not. Okay, so I, I, don't, I don't care if you have eight houses. I really don't. But my question is, if our pursuit is to eat, drink, relax, and be merry, that's an empty life. Now, it might look good on Facebook, and it might look good on Instagram, but it's empty. 
and I, I worry about us in suburbanite churchville. The Bible tells us something different about the pursuit and will always point us in a direction from ourselves and on to others. And the purpose of those who are far from God finding life in Christ. This is why Jesus concludes this parable. I love this. So this guy's sitting around and he's like, boy, you've, you've really done it well, man. You've worked hard. you got some good stuff. Let's build some bigger barns so that we can relax, eat, drink, be merry. Right? That's... That, we've already dealt with that. I have to circle back around on that, right? So Jesus says this in verse 20, but God said to him, I love this, fool. Fool. I think that's the way God said it to him too. Right? Jesus is like, man. And God's like, fool. He says, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Ooh, that's a good question. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And so, so the fool is the one who stores up treasure for himself. Now, this doesn't, again, hear my heart when I say this. This isn't talking about we shouldn't set up for retirement and we shouldn't try to give our kids an inheritance. That's not what this is. This is including God in those decisions. And so, so this isn't as much about the amount of cash in our bank accounts as much as it is the grip that we have on it. Because some of us are holding on to $100 today like it's our very life. And some of us are holding on to 10000 like it's our very life. And it's the same issues being exposed here. Where is my dependence? Where does it rest? Which is why we end, by the end of 21, it's so helpful to us because we come to grips that with when, when we have what we want, our treasures, they don't become our security. They don't. In fact, we start wrapping this up, Swan. So, so we've been focusing on our grip. Okay? And some of us have been holding on to our grip for a long time that, that we don't know how to open our hands anymore. We don't. Because we've got both hands, we've got both arms, both legs wrapped around it. And we're saying, I, I don't know how to loosen that. And I think Jesus tells us something really helpful at the end of that parable. Because he says, he said, what is he, how does he say it? He says, so is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Okay, so, so here's the way this plays itself out. And again, okay, the, that, ver, that parable gets misused all the time by pastors. Because what they say is, hey, well, you should give God your money. And what they really mean is you should give the church your money. And that's not the use of this parable. The use of the parable is to teach us that, that there, when we have excess, that we don't say, how can I make this more about me? The, the thought is, when, when I look around at the, the end of my life, I shouldn't be striving for relaxing, eating, drinking, and being married. Now, those are all good things, right? But they shouldn't be the ultimate pursuit of our lives. And so, so what do we do with this instruction that Jesus says, it is more preferred, actually not more preferred, it is better that you not store up for yourself, but you would be rich towards God. So what is that? look like 
And this is why I always say, I think I said this earlier, that stewardship is always the healthiest step to take when it comes to your treasures. Because A, they're already temporary, right? How you hold on to them will affect others. And understanding that God has blessed you for the purpose of His glory, not for the sake of your benefit. Now, you do get great benefits out of that. But that's not the ultimate purpose. And I believe the way we become rich towards God is simply this. It's yours. Now, what, what do you want me to do with this? What, what do you want me to do with this? So, so this week, we had an opportunity. I got a phone call, and I'll, I'll get these probably two or three times a month. And nah, that's, a, that's not true. Um, probably two or three times every couple months. Um, and it's a person, they've never been here to merge. Uh, they found us on uh, the interwebs, right? And they said, hey, uh, we we're wondering, do you guys help people out from time to time with rent? And she told me her story. And because uh, and, we, we want, before we want to help them, we want to know them. And so she said, hey, here's your situation. And all this rain uh, has caused her husband who drives trucks to be slowed down because people aren't buying rocks as much, so he can't haul the rocks. And, and it affects each day how much he gets to bring into the home and and they came back a full month um they were late on their rent and i said well how much do you need you know and most of the time rent's expensive Uh, i don't yeah like crazy expensive she said well we're on an income-based you know uh apartment so it's it's 400 a month and and there was this moment, because this doesn't happen all the time, but but majority of the time when we get calls like this, I, I ask guys, like, hey, and, and I feel like the Holy Spirit saying, hey, yeah, y'all prepare for those moments here at Merge. So through our community tithes, we help serve our community for purposes like this, you know? Uh, and, and so we were able to, you were able to be part of providing this soft place. And I tell you the story because because this is our this is how we try to be rich towards God in our leadership through our elders, is we say, okay, God, what do you want us to do with this? This is, what, this is how we try to operate here. And we try to operate here because that's that way we try to operate in our home. Missy and I say, hey, God, what do you want us to do with this house? What do you want us to do with this room? Who do you want us to love on? How do you want me to, how, do you, how can I serve you with my car? How can I serve you with, with these things that, that I hold on to that I think if I don't have them, my world will come crashing on me? And God says, no, none of that will crash on you. None of it will. Because I have always been good to provide for you. I am your rock. I am your security. I am your sustainer. And so for many of us, the simple move is starting to uncurl our fingers and it's to open one hand and it's to invite God in to say, what do you want me to do with this? How can I honor you with this? And then you open up the other hand. And then before you know it, you... You can be rich towards God. Again, it's not about tithes and offerings. Even though I believe one of the best ways we are uh, uh, 
worship filled to God is through our finances. But it's saying, God, how can I give you this part of me that's a problem? Because I am not relying on you. You have become something, but yet this becomes my backup plan. So I'm not telling you to go empty your 401ks tomorrow. I'm not telling you to go sell your lake house because really I'd rather you invite me to your lake house. All right? But how can I live rich towards God with my hands open? And I believe when you do that, this has been the story of my life, when I am most willing to do that, I see God do some of the most incredible things. Like, do you realize that this week, you, by being part of Merge, got to be part of some breath for a person who was having a hard time breathing? Like, they're moving me, my husband, my six-year-old, my three-week-old. They're going to have to move me on from here. And you've got to play a role in that. Because we get to be rich towards God together. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. Let me make a couple things available. I'm almost done rambling, I promise. If you need prayer this morning, we, we want to pray with you. Uh, Troy and Jessica, they'll be over in this area. Maybe there's something going on you just need to pray about. Maybe, maybe you need a prayer of courage to loosen your grip. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, we believe that is the best way to find life. That is the only way to find life. We want to journey with you. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you. We thank you that you care about us. We thank you that you care about us so much that you will walk into these areas of our lives that that we want to try to keep you out of. We thank you that you expose parts of us, not because you want to lead us to shame, but you want to lead us to be liberated, to be in free in your Son. We thank you that we get the privilege of being rich towards you. So Father, we pray for the miracle in Jesus' name that you would loosen our grips, that you would open our hearts, that we would see a life worth living and it have nothing to do with the areas we tend to seek security in. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.